Hello, and welcome to the show Gold Squadron Gaze. It's the podcast where two Star Wars-loving gays break down each episode of their favorite Star Wars TV shows, while also being gay as hell. I'm your host, Bradley Brower. I'm your other host, Charles Rogers, and hi, my boyfriend's ex, who I found out in the intervening time listens to this show. Oh. <laughs> okay, I was like, whoa, where are we going with this one? We had, uh... So we, we, my boyfriend's ex uh, was visiting us just to, to hang out. And we were talking, the three of us, and we the conversation turned to Star Wars. Because obviously, as I say, go to a party, turn me loose, 30 minutes later, you will find me talking about Star Wars with people, because that's what I do. And I offhandedly mentioned something like, oh, yeah, you know, it's not like I have a podcast about this or something. He looks at me and goes, yeah, Gold Squadron Gaze. I, I listen to that show. Just going to well. sit here and drink my <laughs> coffee. Uh, I love awkward stuff like that. I love it. Ah, no. He was a cool dude, though. But it's just funny to... It's interesting when you run into listeners of the show in random places that you did yeah. not expect. I don't know if that's ever happened to you, Bradley. That's That's happened to me a couple of times. You know, it's that California lifestyle. You just have all these uh, people that you run into because you're such a celebrity over there. Oh, truly, it's I am I am so well known. In the, mm-hmm. no, nobody nobody knows who I am. <laughs> <laughs> I prefer to keep it that way. All right. So before we we don't have any news, but before we dive into revealing what the topic of our next three episodes is going to be about, I want to address some TikTok comments that we got are TikToks about the Star Destroyers being really fast and the Nick Sant for our TikTok metrics blew the fuck up. Interesting. So they got a lot of views and a lo- the Nick Sant one especially, I'm not going to get into, got a lot of comments. But I do want to bring up three responses that we received to those two TikToks on the show. So if you remember in the Star Destroyer TikTok, Bradley... We ask, why doesn't Vader just, why weren't they firing the guns more? Yes. Like before Vader got onto the bridge. TikTok user Jacob, aka Player Two, commented on the spaceships in Star Wars, you can move power around to prioritize shields or guns or any number of things. The guns were probably on their default setting and the commanders were waiting on a command from Vader before diverting power from things like shields. That sounds like a Star Trek answer to me. uh, It is. No, it is true. (laughs) It is. They are. This person is correct. Right, 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 right. You see all sorts of times in stars, it's like divert power from the shields to the guns, divert power from the, divert power to the rear deflector shield. So this person is theorizing that the reason that Vader, that they weren't firing all their guns is twofold. They needed to divert power and they were waiting for an order specifically from Vader to do so. Second comment, with regards to why the ships move so fast, but why they think we turn we think they turn so slow. The user Maelstrom27 commented: larger ships have less agility because it takes more energy to move that much mass, but once they hit the right speed, they can sustain it. So starting, stopping, and turning are more difficult for large ships, but sustaining high speeds is easy because there's no friction in space. Someone else commented, it's space though? To which Mailtime 27 replied, 
Even in space, it takes energy to move mass. Lack of friction means it will continue moving without using more energy. So they were saying the reason star destroyers are so fast, but we think they turn sluggishly is because they do turn slowly, but once they're moving in a straight line, they can hit a very fast velocity. And I did check, and this does also track. Well, you know, if we ever go into space, uh, <laughs> we'll check this theory out and make sure well, it's accurate. Uh, my, my final note uh, is somebody pointed out, okay, so the old bearded guy on Endor's name is Nick Sant, right? Uh-huh. And he kind of looks like Santa Claus. Right. Somebody pointed out that Nick Sant is probably a reference to Saint Nick. You know, Star Wars names are so clever. So, so fucking clever. You never so know. So fucking clever. Those were some TikTok comments that I wanted to go over. Well, uh, I appreciate the engagement, people. Yeah, keep it up. Keep commenting. Uh, we're at we're at twelve hundred followers. Uh, yeah, we're I'm, doing pretty good. Twelve hundred followers for my stupid little animations that I make. <laughs> Um, One of these days, you're just going to get tired of doing it. We're just going to have to switch our format to something else because you're going to be like, guys, I can't do this anymore. Honestly, so so the first year, not year, six months or so that I did it, like the program was really finicky. So it would take a really long time. They've updated the program that I used to make it. So now I I can just bang one of those things out in, in, in less than an hour. Got it. Okay. Like it's, it's real precise. It used to be that it was really finicky about like when it, cause I have to play it entirely by ear, but now I'm like, Oh yep. Just there we go. Let's just yep. bang the whole thing out. I also care less. Right. About, we need to, you know what? We just need to get an intern to do it for you. We do need an intern. We've been saying we need an intern. We need an intern so badly. Oh, <laughs> if anyone wants college credit, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Yeah, we don't we'll, have we'll, enough work we'll, for an intern. We'll, we'll sign a um, we'll sign a piece of paper that says you work twenty plus hours a week on this show, even though we probably don't have that much work. But we'll we'll sign anything. I do not perpetuate the <laughs> getting free labor for college credit thing. I, I think unpaid internships yeah. are a scam. Exactly, I lived. But it I did too have much. an I did have an intern that worked for college credit on a show that I was managing. Yeah. And that person turned out to be invaluable. And I do think they should have gotten paid, but no one was paid for that show, including me, uh, mm. because the guy that ran it was very, very bad. Anyway, so Bradley, you and I struggled a great deal with what we wanted to do in between Obi-Wan Kenobi and Andor. We had such a weird time frame to do stuff. So it's like, it's really hard to figure out what you want to do because we have to split it up in such a way where it make one it makes sense for you and I so we're not you know just doing all this extra work for bonus episodes you know because bonus episodes are supposed to be fun and just shorter and kind of more like uh just a something to tease people over until we do kind of break down the big shows and we have a full kind of engagement time and you know, we didn't want to do something that was dumb. We didn't want to do something that was going to make you and I bored. Like, I know one of the things that we discussed was like maybe going back to vintage stuff and seeing stuff. But like, when you really break it down, like, I don't really want to sit there and watch the Ewok show and break down every episode. I do. I do want to eventually do that one day, but I feel like it has to be like a special occasion type thing. Because we, we had this weird thing where we always take a break after a show, which you notice there wasn't any episode last week. And that's why. And we always take a break right before a show starts. And in particular, 
looking at our schedule, the way we have the schedule broken down right now is we are doing 12 episodes of Andor. So we're doing 13 weeks worth of Andor, possibly 14 Andor episodes. And then we're immediately turning around and jumping into Bad Batch and doing this intense like Bad Batch run. And it's just, it's not going to be viable for us to not take a break. So we had to take a break uh, at some point later on. But we didn't have enough time. That only left us four to five weeks. And we do want to spend a week on the Lego Star Wars thing. We were like, what do we want to do that fits into like a three to four week time frame? And since Andor is coming out, uh, we hit on the idea of for the next three weeks, instead of covering a TV show, we are going to do a deep dive into the Rogue One movie. And rather than doing a massive six hour episode on it, <laughs> we have broken it down into roughly what I consider act one, act two, and act three of the movie. So today we will be covering act one. Next week, it'll be act two. And then the week after will be act three. Provided the Lego Star Wars thing doesn't come out in the middle. I don't know. I haven't checked the schedule at time of recording this. All right. Before we, uh, we dive into it, Bradley, um, do you want to hear about the, how the movie ended up happening? Yes, actually, because this is, I mean, this is the first, if you, we go back in history, this is the first movie to come out that was different than the main trilogy at the time. Yes. So it's got so definitely is, got a different history. This is the first of the quote unquote, a Star Wars stories. Um, there was a series of proposed anthology films that uh, when Disney first acquired Star Wars, it looked like they wanted to push out a movie every year. That was a mistake and they shouldn't have done that, but they did. My tinfoil hat theory is somebody at Disney, like an executive at Disney, wanted Star Wars to be another MCU. Yeah. And that's not really the way that Star Wars works. But this was the first of those two films. It was this one in Solo. The others have either been scrapped or repurposed. The way this film came about is actually John Knoll. John Knoll is a visual effects supervisor at Lucasfilm, and he has been there a long time, like a long, long time. And he's been trying to get this idea off the ground for a while. And when Disney acquired Lucasfilm and some of the films that were in development, uh, John Knoll went to Kathleen Kennedy and pitched Rogue One as an idea. And Kennedy loved it so much that they put it into production. So it was actually a guy at Lucasfilm pitched this movie to them. And they were like, absolutely, hell yes, let's do this. So that was how this film came to be. I guess we'll just, we'll treat this like a normal episode, except I'm going to be the one doing the... <laughs> it's yeah, it's going to be a lot of me talking. Get used to a lot of me talking. Uh, Bradley, before we dive into Act 1, let me let me set up what, what Act 1 is, what we're going to do. So... Our act one for the purposes of this episode is the beginning of the film to when they escape through hyperspace to get away from Jeddah after Saul Guerrero has died. That's where our act one ends. If you're following along on the time codes, if you want to watch with us, it is the beginning to minute 50 minutes and 54 seconds. So that is how much we will be covering today, which is roughly the length of a really long TV episode. Yeah, that, yeah, that's like a, maybe we'll call it like the premiere episode. If, if yeah, you were to is, break it down to TV series, mini series, this is the premiere. 
this is the premiere. We're going to be covering right. the premiere episode today. So mm -hmm. that is roughly what I consider act one of the movie. Uh, Bradley, with, with regards to this portion of the movie, what is one thing you liked and one thing you did not? <laughs> oh, God, this is going to be kind of hard to do it like this. Um, I, so... I guess I'll it's kind of weird something. and experimental. Yeah, it is. It's kind of like fun. Um, I'll, I'll probably do it like this. So I think one of the things I loved about this part is, and maybe this isn't really like a, maybe it's more like an overall thing, but I really loved the introduction of the character of K2SO. I think this was the first time we got essentially combination of R2D2 and C3PO, i.e. someone who can actually talk that we understand. And then also has the sarcastic kind of emotions that R2-D2 does, which I think is genius because he's arguably one of the best droids in the series that they've come to like show us. And they did this again in um, Solo with uh, L3. L3, 3-7. Yeah, very similar thing they did in that movie because I think since that movie came after this, they saw the success with K2SO and they were like, oh, we need to do something very similar. Just, you know, a sassy droid who has a lot of personality. Like, and K2SO is one of my favorite, favorite, favorite characters in Star Wars. And I honestly, um, without spoiling the end of this movie uh, that came Spoilers out. Spoilers for Rogue ago, One, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Um, you know, I do feel bad that he's not in the anything after this. Because uh, I felt like they had such potential with that character. Because I felt something about it. He just, every scene he's in, he just chews up the scene. He's so fucking good. Something I didn't like. Okay, so I didn't like this and I did like this at the same time. It's weird. So okay. I think it's unnecessary. But for me, I I just like it just because I don't necessarily know the history of Star Wars stuff, you know, and I think the dumbest of the dumb audience needs this. And I'm fine with them putting it in. And that was the title card sequences in the beginning of every scene in the beginning of this movie where every oh, planet yeah. is detailed. Every planet. What the planet is. Yeah. Um, on the one hand, I like it because, you know, not everybody knows Star Wars, like on like the back of their hand, they need to be told like, oh, we're on this planet on this planet. However, I feel like in this movie, the planet names and locations in the beginning and they keep jumping back and forth. It's not necessarily important. For a movie that's banking on you to be like, remember this thing I saw in the other movies? Yeah. It is, it is a bit weird that they slap that. And there's one planet that they don't do that for. And they didn't do it for this particular planet very specifically. And that's in Act 2. Yeah. We will get to that planet. Yeah, I just thought it was unnecessary. But I also, like, I get it. Like, you know, it's like a weird, I have a weird, like, love-hate relationship with it. Because I'm like, on the one hand, I'm like, you don't need to know the planet names. It's not necessarily important. On the other hand... If you are the lowest common denominator watching this, you kind of do need to be handheld and be like, oh, they're on this planet. It's not the same as the next place we're going to. It's not the same as the next place. You know what I mean? So there's a little bit of handholding, but I'm okay with it. Well, they also tell you what the four main planets are. Well, the three main planets. And then presumably if you've seen A New Hope, you know what you have in four is. Right. So yeah, it is. Um... I guess they were trying to emulate like a war movie type thing. And they do this, a lot of this film, we'll, we'll get into it, is very much trying to be like a World War II war film. So maybe that's what they were going for. Yeah, I, I kind of got the feeling it was like a, um, 
if you ever see like a maybe like a James Bond movie or like a Mission Impossible or something like that, they'll always like you'll have like the title card will come up and it'll be like uh, almost like someone's typing in a computer and it'll show you the location that you're going to. It's kind of like a like almost like a we are the person who's overseeing the mission or something. And so we need to know the location purposes because we're back at headquarters helping the hero out. Kind of that feeling right. I'm getting from it. Yeah, one thing I really liked, and in, and it was a retroactive like, because I, I didn't care for it as much when I first saw the movie, but I'm literally coming from watching the Onderon arc of Clone Wars to this, is I really like the characterization of Saw Gerrera in this, and the way Forrest Whitaker plays Saw Gerrera as this paranoid, like, rebel who's been fighting for too long. And he's completely almost lost himself to it. I did not appreciate that when I saw the movie originally, uh, but now I appreciate it a great deal more. One thing I didn't like, I'm, I'm not going to cover this a lot, but there is a fuckload of exposition in the first act of this movie yeah. that goes fucking nowhere. And it's like, it's clearly there to set up elements of the world. Uh, like when, when Cassian like explains you know, what the Guardians of the Wills are, which kind of helps characterize Chiridin Bays a little bit, but also, like, they they could have done it, I think, in a more succinct way, or maybe involved Chiridin in that a little bit, or the fact that their Guardians of the Wills could have come up again in Act 3, or, like, a lot of attention is paid to the necklace, which is a really great character moment, and Jen looks at it in Act 3 when we descend to the planet, but we also have a lot of explanation about what is a kyber crystal and why are right. they using kyber crystals? And it just felt to me like none of this is relevant to the second or third acts of the movie. It's just setting up like the Death Star is made out of kyber crystals. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay, yeah, fine. Um, like... I'm not sure we needed to spend time on this, but there's just a lot of exposition. I feel like there was stuff in here that was maybe in the third acts that got cut with the reshoots. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that it was it was supposed to come back up and and then maybe it didn't uh, i don't know i feel like there's a lot of artifacting in this script that they shot stuff and then they changed the third act dynamically and some of the stuff they set up in act one didn't come up again in act three yeah because i'm pretty sure this is one of the only star wars movies where you still to this day cannot find like a script script like you can yeah you can find like a like whatever somebody created afterwards, like uh, the, from the movie itself, from the final cut. But I don't think there's like a true um, Rogue One script flying around out there where it's like, here's version whatever. You know what I mean? Because I feel like just with all the reshoots that this movie underdid, that it just, there's just not, it's not out there. You know, we're this never going to know. This movie got extensively reshot. Um, yeah. And, and we'll, I'll explain it. I'll explain it now. Basically, the entire third act of this movie got reshot. Um, that they filmed the the movie and then sources sort of vary. I have read accounts that Gareth Edwards went into a meeting with Kennedy prepared to pitch that all of the characters should die and Kennedy beat him to the punch mm. and said that none of them are in the future movies. What if all of them died? I have also read accounts that say that Edwards uh, went in and pitched and Kennedy liked the idea so much reshoots guys are normal in hollywood it happens all the time right it is the normal part of the process 
they don't usually reshoot a movie's entire third act, but it it's normal. So when you hear the the screaming and braying about they reshot this movie, the production was a mess. It it probably wasn't. It's just a normal part of the process. It's like having a four hour assembly cut. It's just a normal part of the process. Y'all are making it news. All right. Well, Bradley, let's go ahead and dive into the first experimental act. Um, now you you did not really know what I was doing. So I'm gonna I'm gonna recap the sections. Uh, and Bradley's just get Bradley's gonna take a little break before he has to recap all of Andor uh, and all of the Bad Batch. Oh my god. How are you feeling there, Bradley? Oh gosh, when it when is it gonna end? When will it all end? Uh, according to our schedule, not until like May of next year. Oh good. If, okay. I have if a our schedule then. holds, we're going from Andor to Bad Batch to Mando season three. Cool. So I'll probably be done by Mother's Day of next year. Sounds great. Uh, we open approximately six years after the events of Revenge of the Sith on the planet Lamu. Galen Urso is hiding out with his wife Lyra and daughter Jen when they are found by director Orson Krennic. Krennic tries to get Galen to return to work on the Death Star project. Galen lies and says Lyra is dead, tries to hide Jen's existence, but Krennic isn't seeing it, especially when Lyra shows up and tries to shoot him. Krennic takes Galen away. Lyra is dead. Jen is on the run, but is rescued by Saw Guerrero. That was my off-the-cuff trying to summarize the events that's of not, this scene. That's pretty, that's pretty good. I'll I'll actually tack on there. Uh, in the present of just before a new hope, Jen Urso wakes up in a prison cell. There we go. There you go. Yeah, that's a pretty short scene. So you can throw that up. I'll I'll throw that at the end. I'm, I'm kind of making this up as I go along, like using the Wikipedia. To be like, here is the scenes that are happening. Yada, yada, yada. Well, yeah, it's it's broken up pretty well in there. So we could just talk, talk about each section if you want, just like real quick. I learned it from watching you, Bradley. I'm imitating you, know... you as best as I possibly can. <laughs> You're the expert at this, not me. So before we dive into the content of this scene, Bradley, do you want to know about some of the major actors that are introduced? Oh, sure. Absolutely. All right. We are not going to... Here's the thing about this movie, guys. There's a lot of fucking characters in this movie. There's so fucking many (laughs) characters in this movie. I cannot possibly tell you about every actor that has a speaking line in this movie. Because it's a war movie. They have a fuckload of characters. And if you've seen something like Tor Tor Tora or A Bridge Too Far or any remotely historically authentic war movie, they have a fuckload of characters. But let's learn about some of the characters in this film. Uh, let's start with Galen Urso, being played by Mads Mikkelsen. You've you've seen Mad, Mads Mikkelsen and stuff. Uh, mm. I know him best as Dr. Hannibal Lecter in the Hannibal TV show. Uh, but he has also been in a lot. This dude has been in a lot of stuff. He's been in Casino Royale. He's just, he's been in a lot. Of, he was in Doctor Strange, the first there you Doctor go. Strange. I was waiting movie. for your Marvel pick. Yeah. I don't think he's got a Disney trifecta. Okay. I was going to say, does he? Because I, I don't think he's been in a true Disney movie. But... He's not been in a true Disney movie. He's a bit of a scary dude for that. Yeah. He's, he's not, I mean, he, don't get me wrong. He's not an ugly man by any means. He's just a rough looking, like rugged. He's a rough man. looking, yeah. rough sounding dude. Right. 
He's definitely uh, like that. It's not great for kids' movies necessarily. Phenomenal actor. Right. Um, he is also the brother to Lars Mikkelsen, who is the voice of Thrawn on Rebels. So go. they are actually brothers. So he is our Galen Urso that is introduced. Lyra Urso, who is Jen Urso's mom, is played by Valine Kane. Apologies for the mispronunciation. She's been in quite a few things. She's been acting since 2009. Most of it is, is TV or, or small roles in films. Uh, she was in the Gangs of London TV show. Uh, she's in The Fall. She's in 13. Uh, she's mostly looks like done shorts and small films before she was in Rogue One. Director Orson Krennic, who is one of my favorite Star Wars characters ever, mm-hmm. is being portrayed by one of my favorite actors ever, a gentleman named Ben Mendelsohn. And you might know Ben Mendelsohn for having part of the Disney trifecta. He is Talos in the MCU. He was in uh, Spider-Man Far From Home, Captain Marvel, and he's in the upcoming Secret Invasion TV show. I was listening to our friends over at Dark Side Divas. I was listening to their Marvel podcast, Marvelous Divas. They just covered Captain Marvel. And I'm just going to go ahead and shamelessly steal their information to regurgitate it here. That's that's what we do here. That's what we do. We steal from other better podcasts. Of course. <laughs> of course. That's our thing. Steph makes the point in that that we in America think that uh, Ben Mendelsohn is like a villain actor. But in Australia, where he's from, he's most known as a leading man. They th- that's why he brings big dick leading man energy to everything he does, including Orson Krennic, because that's the kind of thing that he generally does over in, in Australia. It's only in America that we think of him as a villainous character, because he was a villain in Dark Knight Rises, he was a villain in Rogue One, he was a twist villain in Captain Marvel. He was set up as a villain, then spoilers for right. Captain Marvel, he turned out not to be. You know what else he is? Technically. Technically. Technically, he has a Disney trifecta. Ooh, okay, what's the technical? Because I was scrolling through his IMDb page just now, and I found he was in a TV show called The Wonderful World of Disney, which I'm not sure what it is or what's going on here. What's going on? It was technically produced by Walt Disney Television, Uh, which makes it technically a Disney thing. Disney thing. Uh, okay well uh, it's I'm, still a I'm technical i'm gonna give it to him on a technicality yeah i don't know about that one we'll see I'm in my in my library him. of disney trifecta i don't know he'll be in like the footnotes of a technical he'll, uh, he'll he gets to go in the technicality column there you go i don't i don't think he was in a, a mainline disney film <laughs> unless ready player one was a mainline disney film and i just wasn't aware of it i don't think so did disney make that um let's find was out it, was it was it imdb because you know how they have different things they're not necessarily who who was it produced by it was it was not okay so, i was i was gonna say i don't think it was it was just, i know they had a lot of licenses in there but i don't think it was them per se making it no it was warner brothers okay and then the final actor that i want to introduce here is uh felicity jones playing jen urso uh she has been in 
quite a few things. Let's scroll down. She was in The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Oh, yes. I remember that because she was supposed to be the Black Cat character they were supposed to set mm-hmm. up if she there was, was ever Black a third Cat. movie. Uh, she was in The Theory of Everything as Jane Hawking. I think she was in... Oh, she was in Doctor Who, an episode of Doctor Who. Mm. She was in The Unicorn and the Wasp, which is one of my favorite episodes of Doctor Who. I was looking to see, but it must be someone else who is in what I was thinking of. Oh, nope. Nope, here it is. And she was in uh, Inferno, the adaptation of the Dan Brown book. She was in one of those movies. So she's been Mm. around. Okay. Yeah, she seems like uh, she's a very high I don't, I don't i don't like to say this but high brow actor like she does very yes you know she does very award-winning british films roles. yeah british stuff. and so <laughs> this is like a step outside of the typecast for her which right. is very cool she's doing she's also played jen or so in the the forces of destiny shorts he returned to voice her for those i lied there is a fifth character that i want to talk about who is introduced in this oh, let's just do now? a bunch of them off for, yeah let's just talk okay, about cool. him now uh saw guerrera who we see very briefly is played by forrest whitaker you then know who the fuck forrest whitaker is yeah i mean i think most people do or at least i would i would hope some most people do. you've you've fucking seen forrest whitaker before you've seen him somewhere before mm-hmm. couple of things about his portrayal of saw so he uh, apparently, I, I don't have a primary source for this off the top of my head, but apparently what happened was they kind of needed an extremist character and they just decided to use Saw, and this was before Forrest Whitaker was cast. Saw in The Clone Wars looks different than Forrest Whitaker. He didn't look like Forrest Whitaker. Right. But they went ahead and used the character anyway and just cast Forrest Whitaker because it's Forrest Whitaker. And if you look at now what they've sort of done in Rebels, he looks like a young Forrest Whitaker. And then in Bad Batch, when he shows up, he looks like kind of a cross between the two. So I I predict we will see by the time all is said and done, we'll see a transition of this character. Forrest Whitaker fucking loves playing Saw Gerrera. (laughs) Fucking loves it. This dude will be in, this dude is the Anthony Daniels of Saw Gerrera. Nice. If, if you hear Saw Gerrera, there is a good chance that you are hearing or seeing Forrest Whitaker. Only in The Bad Batch and Clone Wars is he not voiced by Forrest Whitaker that I could find. He reprises the role in Rebels. He reprises the role in uh, Jedi Fallen Order. He's in something called Star Wars Go Rogue, uh, which is a fan co-production. Wow. Uh, he's, anytime they need Forrest Whitaker, I have heard he will be in Andor. Anytime they need Saw Gerrera, this guy's probably coming back to voice him. I like that. So maybe if they do another Lego Star Wars thingy, any of these characters, maybe he'll come back and do that. I highly doubt they will put the extremist terrorist in a, a Lego Star Wars. I mean, you say that, but I've seen things they've done in other Lego productions that are questionable at best. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, so that is a bunch of information about our actors. Uh, and we, we introduced, we've introduced to most of the main characters with the exception of Cassian in this opening scene sequence. Yeah, I, yeah, I, would, I would say so. I think, yeah, I think you only got about 
three three or four other true main characters maybe two other ones that are like kind of side stuff that we can kind of talk about but so the very opening shot of the, there's no title crawl in this movie which is very bizarre oh that's worth mentioning because it's worth mentioning there there is yeah. no title crawl in this movie it opens with a jump scare and watching it in theaters after every single star wars thing ever yeah that is visual media has some sort of opening title crawl you know i wanted to bring that up because okay so i will say this is one of the only um memories that i have of watching star wars in the theaters i've seen all the disney um sequels in theaters obviously and uh when i was a kid i may or may not have seen the prequels i you know i can't really remember that far back because you know i'm so young but um i'm so young he says and flips his hair um but this movie in particular i explicitly remember seeing this movie in theaters because i never saw anything about this movie except for the teaser trailer nothing at all the one that they showed in celebration that was just like the death star yeah like it was like a real quick um i think it's only like a minute long teaser trailer for rogue one it was the only thing i saw of rogue one i never saw the main trailers I never saw any, I, I explicitly blocked myself from seeing anything about this movie online. I turned off Google alerts, everything. I mean, I was going into this movie completely blind. I had no idea what was going to be happening in this movie. And I remember seeing, and that's honestly, I'll tell you now, that's the way to see Star Wars movies, people. Because if you go in with zero knowledge and expectation, you will have the most fun time of your life watching these movies. If you are familiar with the the normal episodes that we do, Bradley is quite famous for, he does not do spoilers. He wants marketing material only. He doesn't want to know anything. He wants to go in completely blind. I'm fine with knowing all this stuff. He doesn't. So we enjoy Star Wars movies and TV shows in two very different ways. I like how the opening shot of the film, the rings come down and it looks like a star destroyer honestly i think it's every shot in this movie somebody i mean somebody out there knows what they're doing with all the cinematography in this movie because it is every shot of space of planets of ships everything is so good and so beautiful like you're always like every every shot in this movie is fucking gorgeous gorgeous uh greg greg frazier is the director of photography for this movie. Uh, and so shout out to Greg Frazier because Man this knows is what he's doing. beautiful. Yeah, he knows what he's doing. Shout out to the visual effects team, the lighting team. Yeah. And and we'll talk about the director later on at, at the end of, of the third act uh, because we're using the same format. Right. Yeah, it's beautiful. Like there's multiple shots that I've, I've specifically highlighted as being, I fucking love this shot. This movie contains some of my favorite shots in Star Wars until Obi-Wan Kenobi. I honestly, I would say, yeah, I think I can think of minimum two to three that I'm like, favorite shots in all of Star Wars are in this movie. This movie is so fucking pretty. Yeah. Like, I put on this movie all the time just to have on in the background because it's, it's such a gorgeous movie. Right. Well, at the same time, maintaining that kind of rundown sort of war movie world war ii look we are on the planet of la mu is where galen urso is hiding out it's a nemoidian word meaning prosperity it's popped up a couple of times in star wars since 
nothing is that that interesting uh, but that is the planet uh we do see blue milk briefly in the kitchen gotta have, a, gotta have all gotta have this is the first of many callbacks to... <laughs> this is the first of many callbacks that will be in this movie particularly yeah. to a new hope and and some of them are very good and subtle like the blue milk some of them we'll get to later in this act are not so subtle and not so good yeah there is a book called catalyst that is one of my favorite star wars books that i've read that is specifically about the dynamic between galen and lyra and orson krennic and how krennic manipulated galen urso into doing the research for the death star in the first place it is such a good book such a good book and you know i i feel like this movie does kind of and i know that that's why they do have books and they do have you know supplemental material because you can't tell every you can't you know exposition everything in a movie but i do feel like that is one of the kind of downfalls of this movie is that connection between um galen and krennic is that that previous knowledge of their relationship or whatever you know what i mean like we we know that they knew each other and there's some kind of relationship there but i feel like we just needed more time to get that connection because I think the only other time we see it is a flashback later on in act two or is it in this act well I I think that the core of the story is you know the relationship between Jen and Krennic and how Krennic is kind of screwed over and continues to screw over her family right. uh, I think the movie had everything we needed to understand that Jen who is a child uh during the events of Catalyst does not understand what's happening hmm. in the book uh, there's a lot of supplemental material for this movie that that goes back and explains a lot of like the whole thing with Saw and Jen is covered in Rebel Rising, uh, which is a junior novel, is an excellent book. Uh, it does. Is it a junior novel or is it a young adult novel? I think it's a junior novel that sort of explains like it can't be a junior novel because they do a violent murderous terrorism in it. I need to double check. It's a good book also. And I will bring it up later. <laughs> Perfect for your fifth grade students. If you're right. a teacher. <laughs> but if you, if you were looking at the scene and you were like, I, I want more depth to the dynamic between particularly Lyra and Krennic sort of fighting over uh, Galen's soul. Catalyst is your book. Catalyst. Good to know. Want. Uh, little Jen Urso walked so little Leia could run. Mm, yeah, she really did. We don't give little Jen Urso enough credit in this movie. Either, either little Jen Urso's. Let me see if I can find who's actually playing. There's more, there's more than one? There's, there's three different actresses for Jen Urso in this movie. Oh, wow. I did not know that. There's a very, very young Jen Urso for the flashback scene. Uh, uh and um there's there's the one that's playing Jen or so in the opening scene of the movie the opening scene of the movie she's being played by an actress named Bo Gadston uh Bo Gadston has done it looks like mostly tv she was uh most notably young princess margaret in the crown and she is walking so that little leia could run we do get our first appearance of death troopers in this sequence. I believe this is the first time Death Troopers are showing up. There are, we're not, they're still not 100% sure what Death Troopers are. There was like rumors that they were reanimated corpses. There's rumors that they're like spec ops. We don't know what they are, but they're scary. Right. And mostly they talk in garbled 
Although there are instances in Rebels where they will speak normally. Interesting. Which is, yeah, it's almost like they have like coded like kind yeah, of radio. Yeah, it's like they're speaking know. in code or it's being scrambled. Every goddamn word out of Orson Krennic's mouth in this entire scene and in fact this entire movie is fucking gold. Back from the dead. It's right. a miracle. <laughs> he also, my favorite part too is where he says uh, they have a child, find it. He doesn't he know the gender. Catalyst actually explained this. He he knows that the Ursos have a child, but he doesn't know the gender of the child. He but doesn't that doesn't make any sense child. because in the flashback, he's in the same room with Jin. Oh, shit. That's, so that's what I'm saying is- I thought he didn't know the gender, ex- but he is- No, he's explicitly ignoring the fact that, that he That motherfucker. Yeah, it makes him even more evil. He's just like, because he doesn't see Jin as a- person or a thing right because it's not important to him so he calls her an it pause this might be the first time on the show that we've ever had a thing charles fucked up that bradley corrected in the (laughs) moment we've been doing this show for a year and a half this might be the first time that has ever happened you know this is why i'm here after all these years all these months and time that we've done this that now we can stop we yeah we're done that's it we're done that's the end of the podcast bradley has corrected me about something on air every word out of orson critic's mouth is gold I love him so much. Uh, and Lyra Urso is a fucking badass. Like, she only shows up in this scene in the flashback, but she's just like, nah, we're just going to shoot the dude. And I do want to point out, too, had Lyra not done this, the whole entire movie would not have happened. Had she just gone away with Jin, she would have been fine. They would have escaped with Saw at some point. Jin would have grown up with her mom. She would have been not as jaded about the Empire. And then she would have probably joined the Rebels earlier on and been with her mom the whole time and worked with Saw, probably closer at the Partisans. And then been like, okay, now I'm like a, you know, an underling of Saw. <laughs> like, I can't, I can't see Lyra Urso sticking around Saw knowing the kind of stuff that Saw does. Having read Rebel Rising and knowing like the type of, of terrorism that Saul was engaged in at this point, uh, and then also having seen Star Wars Rebels and knowing what Saul Guerrero is prepared to do, I, yeah, it would have radically reshaped Jen's life, but she doesn't. <laughs> she decides to go shoot Krennic. Right. Which, you know, I respect that. <laughs> Should have just, shouldn't have pulled the blaster on him and, and held it. Should have just shot him. Yeah, I don't understand. I mean, I okay, I understand for the sake of plot why she does this, but like in common sense world, if you know that this guy is the only thing stopping your husband from leaving or whatever, yeah, sure, the other death troopers that are around you are probably gonna kill you too, but you could at least have the satisfaction of knowing that you killed that guy. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I get it. Like she she's trying to convince him to leave or trying to get him to back off first, but yeah. And yeah, she, she should just Stop shot him. hesitating characters. Just do the just thing you want to do. <laughs> just shoot him. This will not be the last time that Jen Urso will be alone in a bunker. You know, that was a confusing. There is, we'll talk about it a little bit later on when we get to that scene, but there is a confusing point of dialogue where Jin says something along the lines of, you left me in a bunker. And I was like, wait, is she talking about when she was five or when she, she was like 14? Not. Like, you know what I mean? She so it's very not. confusing. Well, later dialogue specified, he, he's like, I need you to take care of yourself. He's like, I was 16. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
but it uh, was confusing at first because you're like wait are they talking about the scene in the beginning of the movie that we saw or are they talking about something completely no. different off screen no they are talking about something completely different uh but i just had that note fans yeah. of fans of rebel rising um this is not the first time or the last time she will be alone in a bunker uh and there's a big overarching theme in her her character development of her being alone and people abandoning her which is um very sad all right she wakes up in a cell do, do you want to know about her cellmate ulan musters sure who's ulan musters the most random character in this whole entire movie <laughs> ulan musters uh, she is that's a she that's a yeah. woman I, I kind um, of gathered that, but I mean, then again, it's which not you like could the, guess from the fact they're in a cell together, <laughs> right? But you uh, could also feel like maybe the empire's kind of racist slash sexist, so they wouldn't care about aliens that is at true. per se. You know what I mean? They wouldn't necessarily that is know. True. Ulan Musters at this point is getting ready to kill Jen or so, uh, and has openly expressed. We see this in the comic adaptation. We see this in Rebel Rising. I believe okay. we see this in Rebel Rising. And I believe it's mentioned in the Rogue One novelization as well, but I'm not sure uh, that she is when they go to their work shift in, in the next sequence that they're in. Uh, Ulan Musters is planning to kill Jen that day. Weird. Because uh, Jen woke up Musters during the night and Musters is like, yeah, damn, I'm going to kill you now. Love that. She is portrayed by uh, Kenren Shaw, who previously portrayed the characters of Tito Prue Sweet Vant and Infra Blue Zed Betty Coggins in The Force Awakens. And apparently was also in Return of the Jedi as an Ewok and a power droid. I like how you said you were not going to talk about every single character that appears in the I'm movie, not, but I wanted to proceed, talk about this you one. You proceed to talk about every single character in this movie. Listen, I swear to God, it's not everyone. I think there's Death only, Trooper number two is played by. There's a fucking lot in this first episode <laughs> for which I apologize. Uh, but a lot of major characters get introduced to in the first act. Well, I mean, let's let's speed on to the yeah. next section. On the rings of Kafreni. Captain Cassian Andor, a.k.a. the third Fulcrum, meets with a contact named Tivik, who reveals the existence of a planet killer to Cassian and says that they need to find a cargo pilot that defected to Saw. They are, the pair are confronted by stormtroopers. Cassian shoots and kills Tivik so that he can make his escape. Let's go ahead and do the actors up top. Cassian Andor is being portrayed by Diego Luna. Diego Luna has been in Narcos. He has been in quite a few things, mm -hmm. uh, mostly minor roles up to this point, but most famously is from Narcos. He's been in a lot of uh, Spanish language films because he is from Mexico and fluent in both Spanish and English. And he is reprising the role as Cassian Andor in a little show uh, called Andor. I know it's a shock that Cassian Andor is going to be in this show. That's, that doesn't make any sense. Why would they put him in there? Apparently, again, I don't have a primary source on this in front of me, but apparently it was Diego Luna's idea to keep his Mexican accent for the character of Cassian Andor. And this has received a lot of praise from people in Mexico, people who are from Mexico, people of Mexican descent, uh, for keeping the accent to this character. So apparently that was his idea. I like it. Tivik is being played by a gentleman named uh, Daniel Mays, who's a TV actor, primarily 
he was in Good Omens. He's just he's been in a lot of TV shows, been in the Public Enemies TV show, Outcasts. I only bring him up because there's a non-zero chance we'll see him in Andor. They mention in this sequence that the kyber crystals are being used to power the Death Star. So this goes as far back as the unfinished um, story reel, Crystal Crisis on Utapal. So when season six of The Clone Wars was canceled midway through production, some episodes were done or close to done. And these were the ones that Netflix picked up. But some of them were in various stages of production. And these were released in something called, I think, The Clone Wars Legacy Project that was designed to get these episodes out in some form. Crystal Crisis was released as a story reel. So it's very rough, basically previs effects that they do. And the Crystal Crisis, which is the only one of these that is still canon, Bad Batch has been replaced by the Bad Batch episodes we saw in season seven. Crystal Crisis did affect, did establish that giant kyber crystals exist and could be used to power super weapons. The implication is they were used to power the Death Star. So this actually comes from Clone Wars. I fucking love this scene. Well, okay, so I like this scene because two things. One, it has the most energy of original Star Wars to me. I feel like it has like there's background characters, there's stuff going on. Like it's very grungy, like in the you know the the gutters of a city kind of feel. Everything about this scene feels really good. It also I feel like this scene gives you a kind of look into what Andor will actually kind of look like. Yes, one hundred percent. Yeah, because I just feel like this is the vibe that the show will have to go for because otherwise, you know, it's very much Cassian being James Bond. Like, that's kind of what it is. Cassian Andor is a very morally questionable character. And what the scene does really well is it sets that up from the beginning. Him shooting Tivik in the back is shocking yes. when he first watched the movie because these are the rebellion. These are supposed to be the good guys. Right. And one thing that's nice about this movie, and I'm hoping the Andor show will explore, is that sometimes the good guys have to get their hands dirty and do very bad things. And yeah. this was the point of contention between Sagarera and Mon Mothma that Rebels explored really, really well. That Mon Mothma believes that, no, we need to, to fight things the right way. And Saw's like, just fucking blow them up. Yeah. And one thing I like about Mon Mothma is that you can debate, one, whether or not she was in the right with her philosophy, but two, the fact that this stuff is still happening under her watch and that these are still the kind of people that she's recruited. I, I love this scene. This scene is so good. Yeah. Uh, moving on to the next sequence. On the planet of Jeddah, Imperial pilot Bodhi Rook is taken captive by Saw Gerrera's partisan. He is brought before Benthic Two Tubes, who orders Bodhi taken to Saw Gerrera. Would you like to know about the planet of Jeddah, Bradley? Nah, I don't think it's important to the story. Nah, Jeddah's not that important. No, they don't. They don't name drop it for any reason. I think it's. I think it's unimportant to the story. So we can we can just skip all that history and what it means. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's. There's not a lot about Jedi. Uh, right. It's certainly not an important holy site uh, for the Jedi. Uh, it's certainly not mentioned multiple times in the High Republic. <laughs> um, there is not something coming up. The conclusion of phase two of the High Republic is definitely not called the Battle of Jeddah. Maz Kanata was not involved in this battle in some form. Um, so really, 
you know, Jetta's Jetta's not that important. And not that important. Uh, Benthic two tubes. We're not going to get into who's like playing the character or anything like that. Uh, but I do want to talk about the character of Benthic two tubes uh, because Benthic two tubes is not the same guy from Rebels. Right. That's like his brother. Or That's something. his brother. Got it. Benthic two tubes shows up. He shows up in the comics, and that is the same guy from the Cloud Riders in Solo, a Star Wars story. That, is, that's that's pretty cool. I like that, that they yeah. connected So him. So when you see the guy that looks like this guy in Solo, it is the same guy. He made the jump from the Cloud Riders to the Partisans. And actually, as it turns out, in I think the Solo novelization, they reveal that the Coaxium goes to Saw Gerrera, is who Infos nice. takes it to. Uh, his brother is a dude named Edrio Two Tubes. Uh, he is the dude that we see in, he is a dude that we see in, in Rebels, and he actually dies when Jetta gets destroyed. Gotcha. So there's your fun facts about this character. Uh, I do also want to shout out Riz Ahmed, who plays Bodhi Rook, is another one of our main characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, very, very like prolific English actor. He's been in The Night Of. Uh, he's been in a bunch of different things, uh, particularly British productions. Uh, trying to find anything else I recognize. He is currently in a in pre-production for Hamlet as Hamlet. That'll be interesting. That's just a small, small role. I've never heard of Hamlet before. <laughs> I wonder what that is. I wonder if he's the, like, he's anybody important in that, in that film. But he is an important character in this movie. Yes. Uh, and we will get to that later on. On the planet of the labor planet of Wobani, Jen Urso is freed from her captivity by the Rebel Alliance, who wants them to enter her to introduce them to Saw Guerrera. She is taken before Rebel High Command and is asked to facilitate that introduction, is initially resistant before agreeing to it. She and Cassian and K2SO board a U-Wing to take them to Jeddah, but General Draven tells Cassian that if he encounters Galen Urso, Cassian is to disregard his previous orders and kill Galen Urso. I just put that whole thing into one. Wow, you're so you're so good at this. I, I'm so bad at this. I'm making it it's not nearly <laughs> as interesting as when you do it. No, no, um, it's pretty good. I like this. Um, well, first you're of gonna, all, you're gonna you to... you're gonna totally put that in me complimenting your oh, absolutely. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna leave that in there you, for Bradley. sure. Uh, so Wobani uh, is a is a reference to Obi Wan. It is an an anagram of Obi Wan. Let's dive into the actors that are in this sequence. <laughs> Jesus we've Christ! Got a bunch more important ones. You know, we thought that there was a lot of exposition in the beginning, but now there's just like it's just like they they're introducing so many all of characters, the fucking actors. Oh my god! All yeah, all of the fucking actors. Oh, let's 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 just pound them out. Let's go. <laughs> there are certainly some actors that I would I would pound out in this movie. Oh my god! I am a terrible person. So we have. One, two, three, four, five actors that I want to bring up. Jesus, okay. That are in in this <sighs> sequence. All right, give them to me. Uh, so the I'm going to bring them up in no particular order. The first okay. one that I want to bring up is General Draven, okay. who's our blonde-haired guy. Right. He is being played by a gentleman named Alistair Pietri. Petri? Uh, another British actor. Uh, I know him best from Sex Education. He's the headmaster okay. in Sex Education. 
Uh, he was in The Terror. Shout out to our friend Erin, who's been on a few episodes. The Terror is one of her favorite TV miniseries. He was on that as Dr. Stanley. Uh, he is reprising the role in Andor. And he was, I'm so sorry to bring this up. He was in the TV show Sherlock in the episode The Sign of Three, the second episode. But he's been in a lot of things. Good a lot Lord. of stuff, yeah. This man's in way more stuff than I thought he was in. Well, he is British, so you know, it's kind of, you gotta have a lot of <laughs> lots of roles. He's a very, very like posh British man, which is I think why they picked him for this role. Yeah. I will say though that one thing about this scene that does well is introducing all these characters. I feel like again, sets up Andor really well. There's so many characters we can explore because they just introduce so many different things in this movie. And you're like, huh, I maybe I want to know more about, you know this character maybe i want to know more about that character yeah no and and one thing that's nice is is some of them were fleshed out a little bit some of them were fleshed out a little bit in the various supplementary material and andor is nice because it's gonna it's it's looking through the lens of cassie and andor we're gonna get a lot on on all all of these characters especially the next one i'm going to mention which is former senator mon mothma being played by genevieve o'reilly Genevieve O'Reilly, you may know her from a very small indie film that she was in called Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. I don't think I've ever seen that one. Uh, yeah, it's pretty small. I'm pretty sure you've never heard of it. Uh, yeah. uh, she played Mon Mothma in the deleted Birth of the Rebellion subplot, uh, which so I'm wild. still bitter about forever. But she... we need to talk about that for a second. Like, how can you? It's amazing how she played this character in a deleted scene never to be seen again that you know she's uh, in one scene in the movie yeah she makes it into one scene in the movie it's wild oh, she talked about this on stage at celebration when she talked about reprising her role in andor she said i got to play this character as a as a younger character right and now i get to play her as kind of an older character and then she played another iteration of mon mothma because she is the voice of mon mothma in star wars rebels i love that so she's she's one of those who just enjoys coming back to play this character. She's been in, uh, she was in the film Tolkien. She's not done a lot that I recognize. Yeah, I again, I, I just chalk that up to a word. Word. She's had a, she's had a long career, but she's not really yeah. been anything that I recognize or anything that stands out to me. Very European stuff that we just I don't follow a lot right. of that stuff. You know, a lot she's of, Irish, lot of so, TV, a yeah. lot of lot of British TV. Right. Uh, I do recognize our next actor, which is. Uh, Jimmy Smith's reprising his role as Bail Organa. Oh my gosh, yet again. Reprising yet again. his role as Bail Organa. Yet again reprising. <laughs> Jimmy Smith's you might know from episodes two and three. He played Bail Organa in Obi-Wan Kenobi. He played, um, he was on the West Wing. He was on How to Get Away with Murder. This guy is, is very prolific. Uh, mm -hmm. Yend, Yend Adana is is our fourth of five. Oh uh, <laughs> Donna has like one line in the entire movie, uh, but he is a recast. The character, it's the bearded guy who's standing next to Leia in, in A New Hope. And I want to shout out this particular casting because they fucking nailed this character. You know, what's funny is I thought he was in the movie. It was weird. Like, or the original movie or whatever. Because He's in the original movie. No, it's no, I know, he's, I know he's in Rebels. I'm saying I thought he was in the OG movie. Like, it made he me is. think... The character of Dan Dodonna. No, no, I know. I meant the actor. Oh, no. The, that's okay. how good. That's how good the actor that's is. That's how good. Oh, yeah, no. That's how good this I, is. Somehow I suspended my disbelief that the actor is not either dead or older than dirt. 
So it's yeah. like... <laughs> well, he doesn't play him in Rebels. Uh, this is his only appearance. This actor's name is Ian McHenry? Mm-hmm. McHiney? Ian McKay L. Another Irish I'm name. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, I should know how to do this. I a, a good chunk of my genetics are Irish. I should know how to pronounce these names, but I don't, and I am so sorry. That's okay. uh, he is most famous for being in Game of Thrones. Right. I, that's what I was going to say. I, that's why I mostly recognize him from. So I mostly think of him as Barristan Selmy. But they officially fucking nailed this. Uh, oh, and I, I was going to say one random thing that he's done that's relevant to us. He was in uh, Queer as Folk. Really? I did not know that. The original British one? I think so, yeah. Uh, yes, it, yeah. The original British one. He was in two episodes of that show, so. I did not know that. That is an excellent piece of information to know. Yeah, it was back in uh, 1999 and 2000. He was in two episodes, so. And finally, uh, Melshi uh, is being played by an actor named Duncan Powell. Melshi shows up quite a few times in this movie, particularly in Act 3. Once again, he's done a lot of things. He was in an episode of Black Mirror, Law & Order UK. I had heard somewhere through the grapevine that most of the the guys who are playing rebel soldiers in the background are are actual former soldiers themselves uh but i couldn't find a primary source i thought you were going to say they were former rebel soldiers in they were former uh, star wars (laughs) i've heard that they were former soldiers but it it seems that at least with melshi and them it's been jost uh I think we need a better word for that term because and, oh, Joss Whedon is a terrible piece of shit. But it does seem to be that that has been proven untrue, right. uh, that I was wrong about that. Uh, that may be that some of the background extras were, but I couldn't find any trivia that said that they were. But Melshi um, in particular is being played by a TVR. I, I hate to do this, but do you want to bring up one more actor? <laughs> because he's technically introduced, so twice who, now. Who do you uh, want to K- bring up? K2SO um yeah if if we're lumping the the sequence might as well I mean, you know what yeah point, yeah let's bring up well. k2sl <laughs> you're right it's in my notes it's just in a different section of my notes but yes okay. k2so is being played by alan tudyk mm-hmm. he is you've heard his voice before <laughs> you've definitely heard his voice you've before if definitely you don't. <laughs> heard his voice before he was oh in um he was in moana as the voice of the chicken he was in Harley Quinn. Yeah. Uh, uh, playing the Joker. If you name an animated thing, this guy has been in. And, and you know what? He does have a Disney trifecta because he does have multiple things. But I mean, he was in uh, Raya and the Last Dragon. He was, like you said, he was in Moana. He's in uh, the Modok TV series. Um, now that's DC. Modok no, is Mo- Marvel. Modok is. Modok is Oh, you're right. Modoc yeah. is Marvel. Um, and technically, he was in the Big Hero 6 series, which is also technically Marvel and Disney combined. So he's in that. Uh, I mean, literally so many different things. He's, yeah, you've 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 heard this guy's voice. Oh, he was also uh, uh, in Aladdin. He was Iago in Aladdin. Um, and then, <laughs> gosh, uh, which... Wait, he was in the new the Aladdin? The 2019, the 2019. Yeah, the new uh, Aladdin. The new one, sorry. Not, say, the, not the original. Not the original. Definitely a different person in the original. Um, no, uh, but yes, he speaking was in that of, one. Speaking of how Joss Whedon's a fucking piece of shit, uh, he was also in Firefly. Okay. Which is God. how most of my so generation was introduced to him. Oh my God, he's been in so many things. I was like, is he in anything else, Marvel? I'm like looking on his list just to double check, but it's like everything. Adventure Time, Star versus the Forces of Evil. I mean, Rick and Morty, you name it. He's done a fucking voice. 
in that and thing. he is confirmed he is not in the first season of Andor. which is a fucking shame because why why I, why i i guess they don't want him to steal this the show then just put him in a few episodes just, you know what i mean like he, he doesn't have to be, be a in, main thing oh he will definitely be in season two like uh, if they don't put him in season two i'll fucking kill him <laughs> i will riot Okay, so we see a repurposed Clone Wars tank, the tank that showed up in, it showed up in Clone Wars and it showed up in Revenge of the Sith. Uh, I like how scuffed up the stormtroopers are in this Mm. sequence. Uh, I like how, I like how they just look like they're not getting a lot of maintenance. We do see our first appearance of the U-Wing, which is the new rebel ship as it approaches, uh, as it approaches Yavin 4. I want to talk about Jen's, line here where she says i've never had the luxury of political opinions yes this is your favorite little bit well i actually that as far as the politics goes it's it's the conversation with saul later in the sack but i love this line where she's like sitting in a room full of people who are like fighting against the empire and it's be like yeah i've always been too poor and my life has been too shit for me to care which is kind of how fascist governments rely on people like if you look at fascist authoritarian governments they love when people are downtrodden because if you're downtrodden and you're scrambling to survive you don't have time for political activism you don't have time for resistance you don't have time for any of this stuff and that's what they like so i love her basically saying yeah i'm too poor and my life has been too terrible for me to care about this stuff and I also want to point out, too, in the um, the trailer, the only trailer that I saw for this movie, which was the teaser trailer, this is a very famous part of the trailer. It's very clearly this scene. And she has a line in the trailer that's not in the movie where she right. says something along the lines of, like, I rebel. And yeah, I don't they had clearly shot they... entirely different versions of this scene. I, I, this, I want to know that. See, I need a fucking documentary on the making of this movie. Like, I need to know everything that was cut, everything that, like, it just doesn't make sense. Like, I know they've explained in, like, interviews. I think Gareth Edwards, the director, um, talked about the trailer and how they just shot a bunch of stuff for the trailer and then they released it. And yes. then they went back and made the well, movie, what, basically. What they did was they would have, like, off hours and off days. Uh, where they were they were shooting stuff, but they they either didn't have anything to shoot, or they already had all the equipment set up, or whatever. Uh, and so they would just kind of ad lib stuff. Like they have the camera there, and they're set up, and they're sitting on set for an hour or two, waiting on something. They'll be like, "Let's just shoot this," or they would shoot stuff specifically for the marketing. Like the shot in the teaser of Jen, and she's like standing in the room, and the lights come on, and she's in the Thai pilot uniform. That was shot with no intention of it being in the film. I want somebody glamour shot for the trailer. Somebody, whoever, whoever's really talented out there, please go through the the teaser trailer and just add in all that stuff into the movie. Just figure out a way to people make it work. have people I have see gone it. through and tried to piece together what the third act was going to be uh, based on. I think Star Wars Explained has done this. They've pieced together what the third act was going to be based on documentary footage, marketing footage, and stills that we have. I am even now, and I've seen this movie probably 12 or 13 times, I am all still now figuring out stuff about what's going on in this movie. Yeah. So I always thought it was weird that like Bail Organa dramatically shows up and doesn't speak in this scene. And it's like there for the audience to be like, oh, it's Bail Organa. But when I was watching it this time with my notes in mind, I was like, the line preceding that 
is that they say, we want to find your father and bring him to the Senate for trial. Mon Mothma is on the run. She can't bring anyone to the Senate for trial. Interesting. So they need an actual senator to do this. Bail Organa is an actual senator in good standing. Ah. That's why he shows up. So I didn't realize that until I watched this. In the establishing shot as they're walking to the U-Wing, you can see the ghost on the left-hand side of the screen. There are many Rebels references in this. This is the first one. I noticed something that I never noticed before, which is that when Cassian and Draven are having their conversation outside the U-Wing, where Draven's like, ignore everything I said in that room, kill Galen Erso. When Cassian turns away, you can see that his arms were locked behind his back, and, and they move down when he was talking to Draven. He's doing military rest when he's talking, when he's receiving his orders from Draven. So he's doing like a military rest where his hands are behind his back. Like, I think it's, it's I think it's parade rest. I'm not sure. Someone who's more familiar with the military, don't correct me. I, I don't actually need to know the technicalities. <laughs> but the military rest they do when, when their arms are like locked behind, their hands are locked behind their back and they're standing at attention. Uh, Cassian was doing that position when receiving his orders, which is a minor detail to show like how much of a soldier for the rebellion he is. Heads up, folks, I'm, I'm going to do the next few scenes a little bit out of order uh, because they're kind of interspersed with each other. So I have I am going to break them into three distinct sections. So bear in mind, if you're watching the movie along with us, we will discuss some of this stuff a little bit out of order. Somewhere in deep space, definitely not the prison planet it was being constructed over in Legends, but whatever. Anyway, Death Star was a good book. Grand Moff Tarkin watches the construction of the Death Star. Orson Krennic arrives. Tarkin is concerned about the recent security breach on Jeddah, and Krennic vows to close the breach and prove that he is competent as a military director. Meanwhile, on Jeddah, Bodhi Rook is brought before the actual Saw Gerrera. In order to ascertain Bodhi's truthfulness, a paranoid Saw orders him into the maw of the Boar Gullet, the strangest fucking scene in this movie. One of the most random things, one of the most random tentacle monsters we've ever seen in all of Star Wars. What is, is, we'll get to the Boar Gullet in a minute. (laughs) Uh, But with regards to the Tarkin scene, the shot of the Star Destroyer, and it looks like it's on a bank of stars, and it kind of comes out into the light and then like it pans up to reveal that it's actually the Death Star. One of the coolest shots. So cool. And again, another slightly different shot that they used in the trailer, the teaser trailer of that assemblage of the satellite dish part. It's just slightly different in the trailer, but it's very cool of the like you see the shadow and it slowly reveals that, oh, it just kidding. It's the Death Star putting their satellite yep. diction. <laughs> As they should have. So the whole like. Again, such gorgeous a good fucking shot. scene. For just gorgeous fucking shot. scene. So they did actually make Tarkin. This was a complete shock. I don't know how people felt in the theaters. I feel like I heard things or stories about people who don't necessarily know, you know, about Star Wars enough where they were like, that guy's still alive. Yeah, it was. So when I first saw the movie, the 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 recreation of Peter Cushing's face was uncanny valley to me. Uh, it 
it it completely took me out of it. When I went back and saw it again and I was expecting it, it made a little bit more sense to me. I was able to just kind of lean into it. Uh, He is not in any of the promotional material at all. Right. And I have a tinfoil hat theory about this. I'm not sure if it was confirmed. Originally, Vader was supposed to play a more significant role in this film. There are shots of Vader in the teaser trailers that do not appear in the film. Uh, They were very clear in the teaser trailer that uh, Vader is in this movie. And there's shots of him talking to Krennic and then having a conversation that don't appear in the film. My prediction is that they filmed both the Tarkin stuff and an alternate Vader subplot. They wanted to do Tarkin, but they weren't sure that it would work. So Mm, I see. They went with, they shot the Vader stuff just in case. Gotcha. That and would the make Tarkin sense. stuff yeah. did ultimately work. The way they did this was Tarkin's being portrayed by a gentleman named Guy Henry. Guy Henry uh, is a Brit- another British stage and screen actor. He was in, once again, a lot of TV. A lot of these actors are TV actors, but he had like visual effects. Oh, he was Cassius in Rome, if you've seen Rome, which Bradley, I'm sure you have not. Never heard of it. Uh, you would probably like it, actually. Uh, it was a HBO show that kind of got screwed over a little bit, but it was kind of a proto Game of Thrones. Ah, uh, gotcha. He was Jonathan Sewell in the John Adams TV miniseries, which is a miniseries of interest to no one but me. Uh, but they kind of they kind of like digitally did his face and replaced it with Peter Cushing, and they actually worked with Cushing's family to try to yeah. make sure that they were getting him right. So this was. This was not done randomly. This was done with like the blessing of Cushing's family who worked with them very hard to make sure that this portrayal was respectful and accurate to who Cushing was. And correct me if I'm wrong. I vaguely remember either watching a vignette or some kind of behind the scenes thing where they found a mold of Peter Cushing's face and that's how they were able to take the renderings of that and digitize them and even bother to do this. I, I, I'm not 100% sure. Okay, because I feel like I saw there. that somewhere. So people don't come for me if that's not true. I vaguely remember this. This is not like me being like, well, in this movie that he did, uh, which was in da 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 da, they took a mold of his face and then they found it in a closet somewhere in LA and da da da, and they took it and they ran it. You know, I just vaguely remember hearing this. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, so don't come for me if that's not true. But I just know that that's where they, I believe that's where they got the, um, the just the model from, or that's where they started their reconstruction of the model from, was a casting of his face. Yeah. And you can tell they put a lot of love and effort into this Tarkin. Um, they did not put as much love and effort into Luke Skywalker in Mando mm-hmm. season two. Uh, but this was kind of the proto for that. And there was discussion when Carrie Fisher passed away of whether or not they were going to do this for her character, uh, if they were going to kind of recreate it. And ultimately they did not go that route, which was correct. But they did too, like, yeah, there was some discussion on whether or not they would do that, but they they did not. Um, that being said, I, I actually, when I saw this movie, I didn't actually think it was that bad. I didn't really have that Uncanny Valley thing. And I think that's only because, and, and I'll say that only for the first bit, the, this scene especially, because it's mo- mostly just his reflection and it's mostly he's in the I, dark. I thought they were just going to do the reflection. Which I didn't think he was going to turn around. Right. And then when I turned, when it turned around, I was like, what? What yeah. is this? 
I think actually they should have done more, just made it very visually interesting to do. I think I would have preferred them to do just like, oh, just a reflection. He never turns around. It's very like in the shadows. Like, is it really him? Is it really not him? You know what I mean? Like that way you, you wouldn't necessarily get that uncanny valley feeling because it is a reflection. So it doesn't have to look a hundred percent like accurate, or it doesn't have to look exactly like a human flesh moving in front of you. You know what I mean? But I think it helps that he's old um and he's not necessarily like i don't want to say he's not human like but he's very like skeleton looking anyway peter cushing person. already in in a new right. hope was fucking terrifying looking right very monster-esque and so. according to well he was he was a famous horror actor and according to carrie fisher she struggled with her peter cushing scene because he was such a nice guy in real life like he was right. just the most charming kind gentleman you would ever meet and then they would call action and he slips in the role of this despicable monster speaking of monsters uh there's a lot of interesting contrast between Saul Guerrero and Darth Vader in the way that they chose to characterize Saul Guerrero where he's got the mechanical bits he's breathing through the oxygen thing that's kind of making the Vader noise he's losing his humanity which I think was a neat interesting choice the characterization of Saw is just, it's so good because a lot of it's visual and down to Forrest Whitaker's acting and how he plays, particularly the scene with Jen. Uh, and then he tosses Bodhi Rook to the broodmother. That's a niche joke uh, for a very small amount of people. If you've played Dragon Age Origins, you know what I'm talking about when I say the broodmother. So what is Star Wars's obsession with tentacle monsters? Can we talk about this for uh, like a hot, hot second? Like, I like what I'm, I'll devote two minutes to this topic. You'll why, devote two minutes. Why do okay, we love I'm, tentacle I'm, monsters in Star Wars? Um, because aliens. Because weird aliens. Weird I think it has aliens, to do yeah. with a, a a fascination with the alien nature of deep sea shit. And there's a lot of weird tentacle shit down in the ocean. Okay. Uh, also, the Dianoga from A New Hope was one of the earliest aliens we saw. That's true. I guess it's it's, it's on par with Star Wars' now, theme. Now, did Bargullet need to be, like, stroking the side of, of Bodhi's face as it's about mm. to... No! No. Also... We see Borgullet again in Rebels, correct? We do not. We we never. Where, see where do Borgullet. we see? We never see him again. I thought I swear we saw him in something else. I do, I don't think we ever see the Borgullet again. Really? Uh, let's I find out. Sw- I, yeah. I, I, let's I find have out. the Wikipedia page up. I could have uh, sworn he was in something else. No, it, it is never else. mentioned again. Really? It damn. is never mentioned again. What a shame! What a damn it is, shame! It has one of the best six, characters in all of Star Wars. It has six appearances on Wikipedia. Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Rogue One, a Star Wars story novelization. Rogue One, a Star Wars story audiobook. Star Wars, Rogue One, a junior novel. Star Wars, Rogue One, a junior novel audiobook. And Rogue One adaptation number two. And you know what's weird? Borgullet has been brought up. I think this character, or that character, this monster, whatever this, whatever this is, um, I think it would have benefited more if it was a sentient character. It may be. We don't know. That's we know what I'm nothing saying. about the Borgullet. They, that's oh, they just didn't do enough with this. Like, if you're gonna give it to us, you gotta like give it something else. Like they need to be able to talk to it or they need to be able to control it. Cause like, how do you control it? Like, how do you get the truth out of him if you don't it's just a monster that just does whatever it wants it knows if you're lying they didn't really what the quite fuck go is into a it, it uh, doesn't make any sense explanations please uh that was slightly over a minute okay, actually good. no no that was slightly over two minutes okay well, that's like all that that's all Borgullet gets sorry that's our Borgullet gets <laughs> moving on 
<laughs> After experiencing some flashback dreams, Jen and Cassian arrive on the planet of Jeddah. Cassian goes to meet a contact, and Jen meets Chirrut Imway and Baze Malbus, two former guardians of the wills. So let's do our actors up front. Let's do it. Let's do our actors up front. Let's do more actors. Shirat Imway is being played by Donnie Yen, very prolific martial arts actor. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've seen a martial arts movie, you have you have seen Donnie Yen before, uh, particularly if you've seen It Man, which is a series of very famous martial arts films. Uh, he is It Man. Uh, apparently, it was his idea to make the character blind. Really? Did not like this when I first saw the movie. However, upon watching the movie multiple times, I realized that he is not, in fact, using the force to do all this cool stuff. He just has supernaturally good hearing uh, due to being blind and kind of has the force a little. Uh, But apparently it was Donian's idea to make the character physically blind. In my headcanon, I like to think that he is a force sensitive person who was not trained as a child and then still retains some ability as an adult but not as to the extent of if he were trained he would know how to use it. that's what i like to think yeah I, I think that that's the implication is that there are multiple force sensing orders across the galaxy and guardians of the wills may have been one of them uh, Baze Malbus is being played by Win Jiang. He is a Chinese actor. Doesn't look like he's been in anything I particularly recognize, but he appears to have been in a lot of Chinese films. That is who that is. Um, so are we going to talk about the elephant in the room about these characters? Uh, you mean the fact that they are totally fucking married the, and the husbands? Borg, the, the boar gullet in the room about these characters. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that they're fucking married. Yeah, like, it, okay, I don't know if that's just me projecting or if that's just, you know, but when I saw this movie, I, not not even kidding, like, I was like, oh, they're boyfriends. They're together. They are, they, they are care more about than each boyfriends. other. They are like husbands. They fight they're definitely like husbands. long-term husbands, right? Like, the way they talk to each other, the way that they interact with each other, he's like, I mean, there's literally a line at one point in time where he's like, oh, I don't need, you know, luck. I, have I don't you need luck. Me. I yeah. have you. That's specifically in my act two notes. Okay, cool. I'll bring it up later again. But I was just like, they are in love with each other. They love each other. They're the first gay couple in Star Wars. Like, <laughs> uh, Actually, Orca and Flix are the first gay character. Gay well, couple uh, in, Star Wars. Uh, in timeline release order. No, Resistance came out. When did Resistance come Resistance out? Resistance was not before this. There's no way. Let's find out. Yeah, please, please tell me. There's no That's way. The sound of me frantically typing. Because <laughs> this was 2016 is when Rogue One came out. Uh, let's see. You are correct. Okay, good. Uh, this premiered, uh, this was in 2016. Star Wars Resistance Season 1 premiered October 7th, 2018. Now, to be fair, this is just an interpretation, people. Um, they, I mean, this is I not an like interpretation. This is canon. They are, they are married. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I definitely see them as uh, a, definitely a couple. Like they, it's just, it's so obvious. It, it, it reads that way. Like it just reads that way. And I don't even know if they did times, it on purpose, but they just definitely read that way. There are times that you can, you kind of have to stretch things a little bit to do a queer reading, but this is not one of those times. Yeah, they're definitely queer. They're not, I mean, I don't even like to say queer coded because it just feels like they're just like, without stating they're queer, they just are. Like it's not even a queer code. Like they are just they just are. <laughs> uh we do get a shot of of Coruscant in the flashbacks. 
Um, mm-hmm. I love the shot of, of Lyra and, and Orson Krennic standing next to each other when Galen goes to like comfort young Jen and they're standing next to each other and like they're not looking at each other. They already fucking hate each other. Yeah, they're just like waiting for him to come back. They're just like, which you would know if you real if you read the novel Catalyst, you would know that already Lyra and Orson Krennic fucking hate each other. Now, are we are we going to read into that as I didn't read the books? So can we can it's my head canon? Can I be like, well, they hate each other because they they're both in love with Galen? You can certainly read it that way. Yes. Is that what it is? The reason why Krennic hates her so much is because she's the reason why he's not with Galen or so. (laughs) Well, Krennic. Krennic is is like a terrible character in like terrible as in he is a bad person in Catalyst. Right. Uh, it is a bit of a different characterization because he's very manipulative in Catalyst. He's very good at playing the game in Catalyst and he's good at getting people to do what he wants. And we see in Rogue One that he is not that good at it by this point in the timeline. He is full of hot air. There's a lot of old temples on Jeddah. Uh, I just noticed that in a shot uh, that a lot of the cliff bluffs have been carved into temples. I'm sure we will see more of this in phase two of the High Republic, uh, where we are going back to Jeddah. There was some discussion, I remember, when Rogue One came out on whether the shot of the Star Destroyer that's directly over the city. So like it's in like, it's not even a low orbit. It is hovering. It's literally above the city. Several miles above the city. Whether or not that broke the lore, the previous lore that Star Destroyers can't get that low into the atmosphere because they don't have the ability, once they get in atmosphere... They can't pull out. They can't, like, hover like that. They will be pulled down toward the ground. Oh, okay, because they're so heavy or whatever. Mm -hmm. Because the engines are in the back. Right, right, right. There's nothing... Well, in that and, case, I, it's so weird with Star Wars. Everything just hovers. Like you just have to just go with it. Like you're just. And like, my oh, answer just to that is, <laughs> my answer to that is, who gives a shit? The shot looks cool. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it, this well, is it shows thing. you the scale too of how big they are because you're like it's oh, bigger yeah. than this fucking city. It's it's the size of a city and it's looming ominously over the city. Right. It's it's so interesting to me. I'm I'm just. I'm just speculating out loud here, but it's so interesting that we have something like this in Rogue One, that we never see a Star Destroyer get this low again. That we have something in here that seems to break the established rules, but no one ever brings that up when we're trashing on Disney Star Wars. I guess because, you know, people like Rogue One so much that it just won't get you the hate clicks if you bag on this movie. So they mention uh, they mentioned pulling the kyber crystals out, and this made me sad as a High Republic fan uh, because I do know from the High Republic that there was something called the kyber mirrors, which are probably no longer there, which is unfortunate. So they fucking run into two characters on the street randomly that okay, are I have, the I have guys notes. from A New Hope, <laughs> Doctor Cornelius Evazan and Pondo Baba. <sighs> okay this is Um, so like this is the worst kind of fan service and the most blatant (sighs) in the movie it is and honestly on the one hand i'm fine with it in the sense that yes it is a fan service slash easter egg whatever my issue with this is not necessarily that it it exists and not even the fact that people complain about like well how did they get off of jetta real fast and go over to a new hope or whatever like that eh, I'll just believe that for the sake of believing it. That could be out. We don't know time 
in this movie like we don't know how long in between you know all this stuff is happening so i'll give them that like whatever they can escape that's fine my issue is with the costuming i don't actually it doesn't feel accurate to scale and mostly i believe it's walrus man i think he's the one that i'm kind of having an issue with i feel like in this movie maybe and now maybe don't get me wrong maybe this is because it's too good compared to what they had back in the day um his head just seems too big for the costume like and that it doesn't look like like when he's next to the doctor guy and next to Jin and stuff he just seems like disproportionately large and i don't know if that's just a, a costuming error or if that's or not error but just like issue like they just could not get the costume to fit like to a certain way where it's like breathable and like usable you know they had to kind of slightly upscale it a little bit I, that's a, just a nitpick. I don't even know if that's a real issue. Like I need to see them shot like shot side by side to kind of really compare. But see, I'm just focused on my overwhelming hatred for Dr. Cornelius Avazar. <laughs> so bit of Gold Squadron Gaze history. Uh, when we first started doing it, because I edit some of the episodes. If you ever listen to an episode that Bradley's not on, I have probably edited. In order to test this, I did a mock episode with Jordan, who is our artist. She makes the art that we use for the show. Not the graphic design, but she does the the drawings of me and Bradley uh, and the little droid that we have on our TikToks. We recorded a mock episode where I explained to her, a person who doesn't know anything about Star Wars, the history of Dr. Cornelius Evazan. This dude is a piece of shit. This dude is a fucking piece of shit. This dude is one of the worst monsters in Star Wars. Like, he is awful. He is fucking hate this guy. Fucking hate Uh him so much. So I pulled it up. I, I'm rescinding my my You're complaint. rescinding it? Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, it's totally accurate and it's exactly the same size and scale. So because um, I'm looking at like a behind the scenes photo or like just a picture of the actual movie. And like, if you look at them side by side, you're like, oh, he's he's got a giant fucking head. And then they the took, other guys, you know, they took great care with this movie to anything that shows up again in, Ro- in A New Hope perfectly yeah. replicated. Yeah, well, okay, well, you know what? I apologize to the wardrobe department. I apologize to special effects. I I apologize to the director and everyone who made this movie because it's perfectly accurate and it looks exactly like him and they were correct in doing this, uh, I guess, for the sheer fact that it's accurate. Well, I don't know if they were correct in doing it, but, you know. Well, I'm sure that if any of them are listening to the show, they they will appreciate. Uh, my My final two notes for this sequence is there's, like, some monks there that kind of look like the Royal Guard the Empire's Ro- Imperial Royal Guard. Mm-hmm. Uh, the implication that that's where he got the idea for the Royal Guard from, it's it's that crossed with the Senate Guard. They also mentioned that Chase and Beret are... S- Chase and Beret? So, what, what was Bays that Chase and Chiret. Oh my God. Bays and Cheese it What would you say? <laughs> base, base and, and Cheese it Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Just say the Beret. husbands from now. The husbands. Just say the husbands. The husbands are formerly guardians of the, uh, like guardians of the wills, the protectors of the Kyber Temple. Mm-hmm. Uh, what guardians of the wills are is extremely complicated. It goes all the way back to the original drafts of Star Wars in the seventies. We don't have time to get into all that, uh, but that's apparently what they are. Mm, nice. And you know what's funny is about this too, uh, or these characters. I feel like these characters out of anybody else also have the most potential for expansion and knowing like their backstory and things that they did in their quote unquote past. Um, 
if you were ever to do another thing with them, I'd want to see maybe possibly a younger, more romantic couple um, of them. And this is like them in their old gay stage. I want to see them in their young gay stage where they're actually like doing stuff together. Like there is a book about them, Guardians of the Wills. It's a junior novel and I just haven't gotten around to reading it yet. I'm so close to having read everything. I'm so close. I'm this close. But there's a few junior novels I haven't gotten to yet, and unfortunately, that is one of them. After being reunited, Cassian and Jen are caught up in a partisan ambush of an imperial supply convoy. K2SO shows up. Sherrit Emway then saves them from a large group of stormtroopers by doing badass martial arts shit. Baze then saves Chirrut from stormtroopers by using a fucking gun. They are captured by the partisans, and Jen says that she is the daughter of Galen Erso. Bradley, I have an interesting way of viewing this movie in regards to being a World War II film. Would you like to hear about some history? Yes, give me some history lessons. So I don't know if this was intentional. I've never confirmed it anywhere. But I do believe that all three of the main locations in this film besides Yavin 4. Yavin 4 doesn't count, but the three main locations in this film, Jeddah, Edu, and Scarif, all invoke in some form one of the theaters of war in World War II. So we have three major ones. We have Europe, we have North Africa, and we have the South Pacific. These were the three main theaters of war during the Second World War. Jeddah is the North Africa. It is dry, it is sandy, it is, I think, meant to invoke the very old carved carved into the walls of mountains sort of. So this is meant to be the North Africa of our theaters of war that we visit. We will get to what the other two are supposed to be as we get, there's one per act, but this is the point where I wanted to point out, particularly in this fight in the city uh, between the Imperials and the Partisans, I think that is what this is supposed to be. This is our North Africa on our World War II theater of war. Can we talk about how K2SO is gay culture? K2SO is, okay, if if C3PO is one type of gay, <laughs> K2SO... <laughs> It's a completely separate type of game. If, if C-3PO, if C-3PO is a neurotic twink, K-2SO is a gay man in his late 30s, early 40s, who is old enough to be world weary, but not old enough to have given up yet and is dry and bitter about everything. He likes to complain about everything, even though he can, he, you know what he reminds me of? I have a friend, I'm not going to, say their name but he reminds me of a friend that i know who is he's he's around 50 but he's very good looking for his age you know he takes care of himself very much he's that kind of gay right so he spends a lot of money on his appearance and um taking care of his body and stuff like that but constantly constantly complains about younger men not wanting to talk to him because of his age or whatever that just gives me that k2so vibe I don't know why. The constant that, bitching, the yes. constant whining. Yes. He's like, why don't all these people want to talk to me? Da, 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 constant. And I'm like, if you would just stop complaining and like realize that people actually would like you. You know what I mean? It's just funny. It's just hilarious. I just like, uh, you're right. I should have stayed on the ship. Exactly. Uh, speaking of K2SO. So apparently the bit where K2SO slaps Cassian According to IMDb, which IMDb is not trustworthy, it looks like that was actually improvised by Diego Luna. 
So he improvised being slapped. And they had to go in and add that in CGI. And on set, Alan Tudyk ran with it and improvised the, and there's a fresh one if you mouth off again line, according to IMDb. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Interesting. (laughs) It's like, how do you, how do you, I was like, how do you improvise being slapped if like part of the costume isn't even there, you know, when they're filming, like they have to add in some things and. Uh, apparently he improvised it and, somehow he did, yeah. and, and Alan Tudyk ran with it. I love it. The the fight scene with Donnie and beating the shit out of the stormtroopers is the best fight scene in the movie. I, I literally have notes. I have notes on what he says. I have notes on things that he says. All right. R- run us through it, Bradley. Okay. So uh, my first thing is when he's approaching them for the first time. Um, you know, he's, he's obviously got his cane and he's moving it side to side because he's blind. And then the stormtrooper's like, Hey, stop that. Stop moving forward. But he goes, he goes, he's blind. He goes, yeah, but he's not deaf. One of the best lines in all of Star Wars. And then the second part of this bit, actually, I don't even know if this is, bit, this is after they get kidnapped. I don't know if that's the, is that part of this? Yes. In fact, I think I have the line that you're about to say noted. Okay, cool. So he goes, they're covering all their heads because as you do when you're kidnapping people so they don't know where they're going and he goes are you kidding me i'm blind <laughs> uh, arguably I, I like, some of the best lines in the movie i yeah. like him jamming his like staff down into the guy's leg and being like is your foot all right he has some of the best lines and it's all in this section like all these lines that he has and i'm like they he ran with this character it was so so much stuff it was, it was the great. fight choreography on this too, like they really said, we got Donnie Yen in this movie. We're gonna let him do one scene. Yeah, let's, just let's have a fighting scene with Donnie Yen. Let's Why have not? a fighting scene with Donnie Yen. Okay, <laughs> I loved it. I love it. <laughs> love it so much. The rebels are brought to the partisan hideout, which is apparently called the Gut, where <laughs> Jen is brought before Saw Guerrera. Saw shows her the message from Galen Urso revealing that he has placed a flaw in the design of the Death Star and that a direct hit on the reactor will set off a chain reaction to destroy the station. Meanwhile, Orson Krennic and Tarkin fire the Death Star on the holy city of Jeddah, obliterating it off the map. The rebels escape from the destruction, although Saw Gerrera remains behind and dies in the explosion. The rest of the rebels jump aboard the U-Wing, fly out and escape into hyperspace. End of Act One. Uh, I, the hideout is super neat. Uh, they have an analog version of Dejaric. Uh, They have a, a Twi'lek dancer hologram. They also have a shitload of guns. I think the design of the partisan hideout is very cool. Yeah, the the Twi'lek dancer hologram reminded me of the um, Christmas special, and I was like thinking, why are um, why are people reminding the holiday special doesn't fucking exist, Bradley? I deny its existence. Okay, well. I was thinking of this weird relic from Star Wars history that doesn't exist um, where, you know, you got little, little child watching porn on his hologram. Um, <laughs> or, I'm dad. sorry, his uh, the the dad uncle, watches porn. dad, I'm sorry, the, the grandpa. Living. The grandpa is the watching. Grandpa. The yeah. grandpa is watching Stinky, or what's his name? Um, Itchy. Itchy. Itchy's watching fucking porn on his holonet. Um, and of a, of a dancer. I don't think it's a Twilight dancer in the Christmas special, but it, it's definitely a dancer of some kind. <laughs> but yeah, it reminded me of that because think about it. If there's all these dudes just like chilling, hanging around, what else? They're bored. What are they going to do? Oh, they're going to watch porn on the holonet. Why not? Saw Guerrero is just out of his mind in this. And I I love it. 
the portrayal that Forrest Whitaker does of this, you can see his, his mind fragmenting and then coming together briefly for moments of lucidity and then fragmenting again. And his conversation with Jen, Jen has such an interesting arc where we finally find out in this scene why she's been acting the way she has been in act, the whole act one, mm-hmm. which is Saw Guerrero abandoned her in a bunker. And I think that seeing getting closure for this and seeing her father again for the first time in probably 10 years is a major turning point in her art and, and where she goes, because now it's about, okay, Jen has a mission. The mission is rescue her father. Because if right. she can rescue her father, she can get her father back and stop the super weapon, the Death Star, which I do believe if you are watching things in order, this may be the first reference we have to the name Death Star. I don't believe it's brought up in any of the supplemental material. If you're watching the visual media and chronological. Now, I don't want to pull a Steph on Dark Side Divas and make that claim and then kick off an entire day's worth of Discord discussion uh, on whether or not a term was used earlier. Yeah, because I'm trying to think back to like Revenge of the Sith or something. I do not think if you're watching the visual media, the term Death Star has been used. I believe in Rebels, they refer to it as Project Stardust. And then in in Revenge of the Sith, when when Dooku has the, or is it Revenge of the Sith or is it Tiger? Clones. the clones he yeah. just references the weapon the weapon okay they cool. have an ultimate because I, 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 I remember visually seeing it he has a little hollow thing of it and he like goes oh that's great and he takes it and he leaves but the interaction between jen and saw when jen when saw says you can stand to see imperial flag drain above the galaxy and jen says it's not a problem if you don't look up haunts me i think of this that haunts me all the time doesn't affect you if you don't look because again this is what authoritarians want They want you to keep your head down. This movie does such interesting things visually with the Death Star. Like it's upside down. Yeah. In the shot we see it in. And like, yeah, obviously there's no up in space, but it's it's shown as upside down and it gives you a sense of like it's pointing at the planet, not pointing up. So I really like that. I know I noticed that too. I was like, why? I needed to understand that because I now maybe that's because like in space there's no up and down, right? Right. So do you think that that's just more of a, they orient the Death Star based on what's most convenient? Like they are yeah, so- Yeah, that's literally were, what I just said. They point it at the planet. They don't point yeah, it at- It's just, at, they're so uh, close that it's easier to just be They're pointing the laser down. at the planet. That's why we always think, because if you view the Death Star from the planet, it, it's always going to show that super laser. Right. Tarkin says we need a statement, not a manifesto. That's because the smug motherfucker wants to make his own manifesto. He doesn't want Krennic stealing it. Mads Mikkelsen is probably giving the best fucking monologue in all of Star Wars. He is not even addressing anyone. He is talking to the camera. And he gives one of the most... (laughs) He is giving one of the most heartfelt, moving performances in the entire saga. Holy shit, his monologue. I guess now is as good time as as any. This is is where we're we're barreling towards our ending. But Galen Erso is based on a gentleman uh, named... Oppenheimer, who was the guy who built the atomic bomb Mm. and then felt really bad about building the atomic bomb. He is the origin of, he is not the origin of, but he is the one who famously quoted, I am become death, the destroyer of world, upon seeing the atomic 
bomb test. Galen Erso is based on that guy. So there is a lot of like the Death Star being the atomic bomb in this movie. Big instance of it later on in Act 3 that we will get. But I wanted to point that out here because he talks about building it and how he like hated it the whole time. Oppenheimer was a very complicated dude. Saw says that he's not going to run away anymore. Very poignant line. But so did you notice that the last thing Saw Guerrero sees before he dies is Jen Erso escaping from the blast? Yes, you see the U-Wing kind of like fly off. He sees the U-Wing fly off and then he dies, uh, which is, if you've read Rebel Rising and you know how much Saw cared about Jen is very sad. Uh, And then my final note, so K2 is like, we haven't made the hyperspace calculations and Cassian is like, I'll make them for you and and hyperspace out of there. Two things about this. Uh, One, that is incredibly fucking dangerous to do. Right, because you don't know what's going to happen. Like, you don't know necessarily if you'll calculate into the middle of a star. If the calculator or... <laughs> not, uh, the calculations are not done, yeah, you right. could warp into the middle of a star. You could whack into another ship. Uh, you could do any number of things. Uh, you could create a giant galaxy-wide disaster that kills billions or trillions of people. Where have we heard that or read that before? I don't a, know. Uh, a small novel that you're obsessed with. Definitely, definitely haven't read that in a book. But then also I remember there being a little bit of controversy too, because you should not be able to enter or exit light speed in a gravity well. Legends establish that you can't do that. Mm. If you're in a planet's gravity well, you can't make the necessary calculations to jump out. Han does this in Force Awakens, where he he like light speeds so close to the planet that he's like flying over the trees. Right. When he comes out of hyperspace. Uh, and then Cassian does the opposite here. Again, who gives a shit? It serves the yeah. story. It's like, guys, it doesn't matter. It's just a fucking fantasy movie. Like, did, who cares? Like, science doesn't mean anything in this. It's not Star Trek. It doesn't have to make sense. Oh, <laughs> uh, Jesus Christ. I was in, uh, please don't go look this up. Or you can. I don't really care. I was in a series of Star Trek fan films. I don't know anything about Star Trek and I don't care. Um it's fine. I've seen a few episodes of it. I joke that I've been in more Star Trek than I've seen, but I made the mistake of going to the comment section of those once. And oh boy. Like... <laughs> Star Trek fans are fucking pedantic as shit. Yeah. Like, you think we're bad? No. I've heard the new stuff is good. Yeah. But we won't I, ever talk about it on this yeah, show. Yeah. No, we don't have that kind of one time and two. Uh, I don't have the brain capacity to do both star wars and star trek because i think i think my brain would rip in half if i would try to do that and we end act one with the beautiful shot of the explosion from the city blasting up there will be fucking consequences for the planet of jedi if you read the star wars um 2015 star wars mainline star wars run Mm-hmm. There are consequences for this. Jetta never recovers from this. They effectively destroy the planet uh, without destroying the planet with this test. Right. And well, and it's, it's worth noting too, like every time they do this single reactor test or whatever, they're basically just setting off an atomic bomb on the planet every single time. Yes. Yes. That the, in this movie, the Death Star is coded as the atomic bomb. Right. Like in act two, the, engineer uniforms that they are wearing are meant to invoke radiation suit. Mm. Uh, every time we see the Death Star fire, it looks like an atomic blast. It looks right. like uh, like this magic, especially the one on Scarif. Galen Erso is meant to be Oppenheimer or he is meant to invoke Oppenheimer. They do two bombing in this movie and the atomic mm. bomb was dropped twice in World mm. War II. 
Gotcha. So this is it. very much a World War II inspired. All right. Well, Bradley, we are um, shooting along as far as time goes. <laughs> uh, hopefully the others will be faster since we aren't stopping for every actor. Uh, do you yeah. have final thoughts? I mean, honestly, I think what I like about this one is it does end on this kind of like note of like, especially this beautiful, beautiful eclipse shot of the Death Star destroying the planet essentially. And that's one of the, again, one of the best shots in Star Wars is this, it's it's only for like a hot second you see it eclipse. And then there's another it's like shot later darkness, on where you, it shoots Darkness it. literally falls on the planet and falls on Gorgeous. the galaxy gorgeous 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 shot i you know i like this i think i like where this movie is going you know you said it's like the first 50 minutes you said first 50 minutes 50 minutes and 54 seconds so i mean we're pretty much you know we're we're well into this movie and people at this point in in the the, if you're in the theater and you're watching this for the first time you're like there's so many fun cool things that you're getting from this you're getting a little bit of old star wars you're getting a little bit of new star wars but this movie feels like a war movie it feels like a you know a very serious tone movie like there are moments tiny tiny moments of comedy but it's not like so in your face comedy that like it's childish and annoying so i that's what i love about star wars sometimes is if they can find that balance um, but this movie has definitely a darker tone so far um, than all of the other star wars at this point in release that you've watched in your entire watching of the movies my final thought is that I, I think that the first act of this movie has some weird artifacting and furs of exposition and things, uh, and it does front load a lot of it. I think this comes back to serve it really well in Act 3. Uh, there's a lot of small character beefs uh, that we just didn't address. And that's because as of time of recording this, we have literally been recording. Now, some of it's going to be cut out. We have been recording for as long as the movie is. <laughs> just talking about the first act. Uh, right. So like I... I didn't cover things like how Bodhi Rook um, doesn't really understand what's going on in the first first little bits of it. He he doesn't understand the danger he's in. He doesn't understand how to approach rebels. We glossed over the entire scene in the jail cell, uh, which I'm specifically bringing up here because it is a crime. I didn't include it in the notes where uh, Chirrut tells Cassian, like, you know, we've been in worse cages and Cassian's like, yeah, that's this is a first for me. And Chirrut points out, there are the not all every cage is physical. I sense you carry yours with you wherever you go. Like we just don't have time to include these because this movie is jam packed. This movie benefits from rewatching and rewatching and rewatching and rewatching. It's one of those movies that's beyond just you can watch it and rewatch it. You can keep rewatching it and still discover things about this movie, which I is especially true in the first act here. As we move on, the the latter two acts will benefit a lot from the clunky setup in the first act. Uh, which overall serves the movie very, very well. All right, Bradley. Well, if you want to go ahead and quickly run the socials uh, and then we can get, we will see everybody next week for part two or maybe the week after. I don't know when we're doing the Lego Yeah, we'll, we'll do our best to keep it consistent, but I, I just started at a new... Um a new show that I'm working on. So it's going to be taking a lot of my time, especially since it's a first season show. Um, We're pre-recording a lot so, of these episodes up front. Right. So whether, when they get released, don't know, we will fill in the gap. I promise. There will be- There multiple, will be things. There will be things happening and releases happening. They may not necessarily happen on the time you're expecting them, but they will happen. I promise. I I cannot explicitly promise at time of recording what next week will be, but- 
we will get to something. It will be this or Lego's the summer vacation. I need to check and see when this is going to air versus. Yeah, we got to see the dates. Yeah. Uh, I can't explicitly promise what it will be, but we will see you guys next week. In the meantime, if you want to find us, Bradley, go ahead and run our socials. Thank you for listening to Gold Squadron Gaze. Did Charles fuck something up? Send us a message at goldsquadrongaze at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Gold Squad Gaze. Follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Gold Squadron Gaze. Subscribe to us on YouTube at Gold Squadron Gaze, where we post the podcast as well as exclusive content. Please join us next week and every week for more of Gold Squadron Gaze. So we'll we'll do that. There's no more. Wait, there's no more people being introduced. In there's the no more section, people right? being introduced. Okay, we're just cool. gonna we're just gonna go through it. Okay, great. Let's do it.